You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley Ryan, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation in law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. This is Sarah and Josh Talk About Drones, an occasional podcast in which Sarah Baxenberg and Josh Turner talk about cutting-edge legal questions facing the unmanned aircraft systems industry. Welcome to our inaugural podcast of Sarah and Josh Talk About Drones. I'm Josh Turner, a partner at Wiley Ryan in Washington, D.C. And I'm Sarah Baxenberg, an associate at Wiley Ryan. Today we want to talk about open for business, which is a catchphrase that the FAA has debuted this year to talk about its approach to granting waivers for unmanned operations, uh, what you might call extended unmanned operations beyond visual line of sight, anything not covered by the FAA's rules. So to understand what the FAA is doing now, we have to back up a little bit and talk about kind of the history of the FAA's regulation of drones or unmanned aircraft systems, UAS. So prior to 2016, there weren't any regulations in place authorizing the commercial use of drones. If you wanted to fly a drone commercially, you had to petition the FAA on a case-by-case basis um, in order to get authorization for your operations. These were called Section 333 petitions, and that stemmed from the 2012 FAA Modernization and Reform Act, which directed the FAA to integrate drones into the airspace. Then in 2016, the FAA adopted a series of regulations called Part 107, and that enabled commercial operators to operate drones broadly without getting prior approval from the FAA. But Part 107 also had its limitations. For instance, you have to keep the drone within visual line of sight of the operator. You can't operate drones over people. Um, So there are all these operating limitations that really restrict the ability of the industry to grow. Uh, So the FAA's plan was to undertake a series of incremental rulemakings that gradually expanded the ability to fly drones commercially. Uh, The only problem was they started to get some pushback from different security agencies and security stakeholders, local law enforcement, who are concerned about, uh, you know, letting drone operators too many too quickly flying above people, flying beyond visual line of sight, and express concerns about how that could be done safely. So the FAA's rulemakings have been somewhat delayed by these conversations that are happening with the security stakeholders. Right. And the way the FAA has dealt with that, I mean, for the for the better part of 2017, it was just sort of stuck in amber and there wasn't a whole lot going on. But the way the FAA has decided to deal with that now is this open for business idea, which they debuted at the Baltimore um, uh, FAA symposium, the annual symposium that they do for drone stakeholders. Um, and you know what they what they essentially said is bring us whatever concept for operation you have, um, and if you want to do something that's beyond line of sight, or if you want to do something that's over people, or if you want to do something after dark, um, those are operations that we'll try and put together waivers for and let you do them, so that we can gather information them and and make. Uh, get more data for understanding how drone operations work in this extended environment and really gain some practical experience during this period of time where we're not able to do rulemakings because the security agencies are so concerned about how that's going to work. 
But the real question is, what does open for business mean? I mean, what are these waiver processes that the FAA has put into place? The FAA has been great about going out into the community and trying to explain that message to people in the drone world. Um, they've got their own series of webinars that they're doing that sort of talk about how you put together one of these waivers. Um, you know, they've been coming to AUVSI to the Exponential Conference and talking about it there. Um, they also came to Wiley Ryan, uh, and we held a roundtable that had Manny Cruz uh, from the FAA, along with a couple of stakeholders from the industry, Diana Marina Cooper and Mark Blanks from uh, Precision Hawk and the Virginia Test Facility, respectively to really talk about sort of practical tips and what you need to do in order to get uh, a waiver from the FAA under this open for business policy. Um, and we can talk a little bit, I think, about the takeaways that we had from that. It was a really interesting event, um, but I think there were a number of key takeaways. And Sarah, what would you say, you know, sort of your main one was? I mean, I think the first one is that when the FAA says, you know, hey, we're open for business, they actually mean it. A lot of times, I think when federal agencies are kind of restricted by their own rules and the industry is struggling as a result of that, there's not really that much the agency can do and their hands are kind of tied. And so they'll say things like, oh, come in to us and we'll figure it out. But that doesn't actually mean anything. And I think in the FAA context, that just is not the case. There are definitely definitely really trying to do everything they can to authorize expanded operations. And that is their goal. They're not trying to hamstring the industry. They're not trying to keep drones out of the sky. And I think the facts that we saw kind of talked about at the roundtable that bear that out are first just that the agency is devoting significant resources to this endeavor. They're, you know, building teams that are specifically working on the waivers and exemptions, and they want a dedicated point of contact for each applicant who's trying to get a waiver or an exemption to fly um, expanded operations. And I would also say that the FA is particularly good at kind of using social media and different platforms to make things kind of as simple and accessible for your average drone operator as they possibly can. So they put a lot of information on their website, they're on Twitter, and they're actually really trying to be kind of a, a partner with the industry and have those lines of communication open and really kind of be true to their word that they're open for business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was incredibly impressive to see how much effort the FAA put into coming out and engaging the community. Um, and it's a it's a great uh, thing that they're out there, you know, really trying to work through this stuff. Um, but I think my main takeaway was that as as open and engaged as the FAA is, they're not going to grant everything that comes in the door. Um, the responsibility of the applicant is still to prove the safety case, and not even just to prove the safety case, but to actually develop the safety case. Because we're in an area now where a lot of these things are being done that have never been done before. And so while the FAA has a pretty good understanding of what a safety case looks like for general aviation, for example, they don't have a good understanding of what safety case is needed for expanded UAS operations. It's just not something someone's done. And so the responsibility is on the applicant not only to come up with ways to mitigate risk, but to identify what those risks are in the first instance and to persuade the FAA that they've thought of everything they need to think of and that they've come up with ways to address each one of the risks that their operations will present. Um, what 
the FAA will accept and what is acceptable as a safety case will vary depending on the kinds of operations that you've got in mind. Uh, and at the roundtable, the FAA sort of used an example and said, you know, for example, in operations over people, there are a lot of different ways that you can mitigate the risk of flying over someone's head. Um, you can show that the aircraft won't crash. It has some sort of redundancy or, or something that makes it particularly reliable. Um, you could show that the aircraft, uh, if it crashes, isn't going to cause a lot of harm or damage. Um, it's light. It's uh, frangible. It comes apart very easily and doesn't hurt people. Um, or if you can't show either of those things, you can change your operation so that you're operating over fewer people. Um, and they emphasize that the, the safety case that you would have to show, for example, in Alaska is going to be very different from the safety case you might have to show in a heavily populated area, even though both are technically, quote unquote, over people. Um, above all, and this is the other sort of important message that they were conveying, you need to show and not just tell. So you don't just tell them that, hey, we have this figured out and we've got a way to deal with these problems. You have to explain what that way is and you have to show them how that way will actually address the problems that you've identified. In other words, what does your training look like? How is your training going to address the problem of uh, you know, optical illusions at night? Is this a tested procedure? Is it one that's been used before? You know, what are the sort of um, uh, bases underneath it for justifying it as a, as a risk mitigation? That sounds a little bit onerous, right? If you are a commercial operator who's kind of new to the drone space and you want to do something outside Part 107 and you don't have a lot of experience in this area. But I think that brings us to our next takeaway, which is that there is good news in that regard and you don't have to reinvent the wheel or in this case the wing, the rotor. We've been playing with how to say that. But what we tried to do with our roundtable was bring, um, you know, industry into the conversation and not just have the FAA talk to you in general terms about what waiver applications are supposed to include, but actually hear from, uh, you know, companies that have received waivers and that have done the work and kind of put these safety cases together. So we had joining us at the roundtable, as you mentioned, Josh, Diana Cooper from Precision Hawk and Mark Blanks from the Virginia Test Site. And they've both been in this game for a really long time, several years. Um, Precision Hawk first uh, received one of the very first Pathfinder programs from the FAA. And what those programs did was it was a way for companies to enter into an agreement with the FAA to conduct expanded operations. And this was an even before Part 107. So you had Precision Hawk and also BNSF Railway had one doing um, extensive beyond visual line of sight testing and research and development. And so now Precision Hawk has multiple waivers that enable it to fly uh, drones beyond visual line of sight, but they had, you know, extensive research and data backing up their applications. But the good news is they have made a lot of that information publicly available. So they have reports and they have different data that they've released that n operators who are kind of new to the game can leverage and can include as they're building their own safety cases. Similarly, the Virginia Tech test site uh, has had kind of a re working relationship with the FAA for several years now that enables it to do a lot of testing for expanded operations. And the test site's really in instrumental in helping commercial operators put together, you know, their waiver and exemption applications and build their safety cases. 
And so the test site not only helps operators get the data that they need, they've also done a lot of thinking about what the process should look like for building your safety case, when you need to engage with the FAA, um, how much information you need to include and where that information needs to come from. And so they have done a lot of work kind of designing really streamlined processes that are efficient from both the applicant and the FAA's perspective. And the FAA is actually using a lot of the test sites work in that regard. So the good news is there's a lot of data out there. There are a lot of examples out there of waivers that have already been granted. And the FAA actually makes public all of the waivers and exemptions that it grants. You can go onto their website and look at any of them and look at the conditions that were imposed and learn about the scope of the operations. The applications themselves are kept confidential, but with entities like Precision Hawk putting all this information out in the in the public domain, it's a lot easier than it would be if you were the trailblazer um, to kind of get your authorization from the FAA to do expanded operations. Yeah, and that's a it's a great point. There's a lot of resources that are out there already, and even with the newness of this industry, it's impressive to me how many people have already been thinking about this for a long time. Um, now, I don't think you're going to be able to just cut and paste any of the data that Precision Hawk or Virginia Tech has put together, particularly if you're planning to do something that's different and new. Um, you know, you're going to have to take that and you're going to have to use it as the building block for whatever safety case you want to put together. And what the FAA was very clear about is it wanted to see an individualized analysis and determination of the risks that your particular operations were doing. Um, and so it isn't a, just enough to say, give us the same waiver that Precision Hawk got or give us the same waiver that BNSF did. You've got to do more work than that. But but the good news about that is that um, the work has already been done on a lot of this stuff and it's not uh, as though you're you're building it from scratch. But I think the you know, all of this, the sort of talking that we're doing about the ways in which you approach the FAA and the collaborative process really brings us to our final takeaway from this session. And for me, that was, you know, as impressive as it is that the agency is out there engaging the public, um, as great as the work is that uh, Virginia Tech and Precision Hawk and others are doing in this space, ultimately, this is not the way that we're going to grow this industry into a multi-billion dollar industry. It's not scalable. You aren't going to be able to get waivers to do the kinds of operations that everyone wants to do. It just isn't going to work. Ultimately, we're going to need rules. And the sooner, the better. Um, the FAA's open for business approach is a great ad hoc approach to sort of deal with this temporary, hopefully temporary roadblock in getting the expanded operation uh, NPRMs out. But it is an ad hoc approach. Um, and, you know, the, the bottleneck, the particular bottleneck that we're dealing with, uh, this issue of security and this issue that, you know, the security agencies and local law enforcement are concerned about the kinds of operations that um, unmanned aircraft can engage in and that they're really worried about not knowing who those aircraft are being operated by, not being able to identify, you know, at a distance who's flying a particular drone. You know, what that means is that we need to have some sort of method of identifying those those drones, what, what in the industry they call remote ID, and we need to have that in place in order for any of these waivers to move forward. Um, the particular stumbling block there is that Section 336, which is an exemption written for the modelers back in 2012, 
uh, excludes a big chunk of aircraft and operators from FAA regulation. And while the FAA has tried to work around that and and adopt some registration rules uh, that applied to the modelers, um, you know they were challenged in court. And the modelers went to court and said, "No, you can't do that. Uh, Section three thirty six protects us." And those were struck down. Um, and while Congress restored the registration rules, um, they did not expand the FAA's authority generally. And so the FAA remains pretty hamstrung when it comes to trying to adopt any new regulations that would apply to the model uh, aircraft community. Um, and that's that's a fairly broad definition under Section 336. We've seen some talk on the Hill uh, with FAA reauthorization coming up and some talk on the Hill of fixing that. It's not clear exactly how that's going to get fixed. Um, there are a couple of different suggestions that are out there. Uh, but that legislative fix is absolutely imperative. And without it, I think we're going to be stuck for a while uh, in this world where we're just doing sort of one at a time waiver applications rather than than broader expanded operations. The good news is that even though uh, 336 will need a legislative fix of some kind, at least to enable remote ID and then enable all of the expanded operations rulemakings that are scheduled to happen after that, the good news is that the FAA can proceed in parallel and is. So what we know right now is that there are two different rulemakings that are currently at OIRA that um, should be released in the coming months, uh, one on operations over people, and one is an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on safe and secure operations. And what we expect is that these proceedings will tee up remote ideas well, and hopefully by the time that the FAA is ready and able to move forward with rules on remote ID, they'll have the statutory authority that they need to do it. Right. And the message from the FAA, you know, which is very clear, is don't let, you know, don't be scared of the fact that we don't have rules. Don't let the fact that that you need a waiver stop you from doing something innovative and something cool. Um, Come to us and and work with us and we'll try and get you in the air and get you flying. Um, And of course, we at Wiley Ryan are happy to help with that too. Uh, You know, this has just been a very sort of surface uh, treatment of the stuff that we learned at the roundtable, but there's a lot more where this came from. Uh, If you have any questions or if you want to do any of these expanded operations, you want to talk about what's necessary for a waiver, uh, please feel free to give us a call. The material contained in this podcast has been gathered by Wiley Ryan for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from legal counsel.